Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series. We've come to the end of this rather long series that we've done entitled Out of Bondage into Abundance. We are in the final pages of the final part, part seven. And if you are following along in the notes, uh, we've come to about, oh, maybe page 150. I'm going to jump around a little bit tonight, but we are definitely going to finish this entire series tonight. Um, we have notes and recordings for all of the previous portions of this Bible study. Those can be found at our website, new-life-ministries.org, and just look for the title of the series, Out of Bondage into Abundance, and you can download the notes and any of the audios that you have missed. Um, I also want to mention that we're starting right into a new series next week, uh, and the first set of notes has already been uh, uploaded, so you should be able to download those from the website within the next day or so. And that series is entitled, Show Us Your Glory. I'm really excited about this uh, series of studies that we're going to be starting. So uh, try to download the notes to part one before next Wednesday so that we can start right into our new series. But here we go, finishing up out of bondage into abundance. Just to recap this whole study, we started off with Israel in Egypt in bondage. They were slaves, and they were incapable of setting themselves free. They needed a miracle from God to deliver them from Pharaoh's bondage. And God's miracle of deliverance was a very strange one. He used the blood of the Passover lamb to free them from their bondage. And we have traced from that point all the way out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, across the River Jordan, into the Promised Land, driving out seven nations that were stronger and mightier than they were, and finally taking possession of that land. And this is all historical truth recorded for us in the Bible. But more importantly, it is a representation of the entire journey that you and I are making as believers in Christ. By no coincidence, we were also once in bondage. It's called the bondage of sin. And very interestingly, it was only the blood of the Passover lamb that could set us free from our slavery. That Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. And each step of the way, we see the parallels between what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament, and what we experience now as Christians. They're passing through the Red Sea, a picture of what happens in water baptism. They're coming to Mount Sinai, where the glory of God descended upon the mountain, 
a picture of Pentecost, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're traveling through the wilderness, very representative of the tests and trials and various things that we go through as Christians after being saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then coming into the promised land, they weren't finished quite yet. We spent a lot of time looking at the seven nations of Canaan that had to be conquered, defeated, and driven out. And we started off last time in part seven on page 147. I just want to highlight one thing here again. The Hebrew word is a very interesting word, and it actually means to both possess and dispossess. And so it includes both of those ideas when God says you're going to possess a land, and at the same time he says you're going to dispossess those seven nations that have been dwelling there. All of that is tied up in one Hebrew word, which literally means to occupy by driving out previous inhabitants or previous tenants. So the process of crossing the River Jordan, driving out the Hittites, the Amorites, and all the other ites, that was only half of the equation. They also had to take possession of the land that those enemy nations had been occupying. And we also looked at a very important passage in Exodus 23, and I just want to highlight one or two verses again here. In Exodus 23, verse 28, God told the Israelites, I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites. But... And this is the key. I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. We spent quite a bit of time looking at that. God could have easily driven out all the enemies in one single afternoon. But he said, no, I'm going to do it a little bit at a time to accommodate for you taking possession of the land they once occupied. Otherwise, if we drive them all out in a single day or even in a single year, the land would be overrun with weeds and wild animals. So this seventh part goes right along with part six. As they were driving out the enemy nations, so they had to take possession of the land, begin farming the land, begin building their houses and settling into the land so that it became their possession. And we saw the parallels between that in the Old Testament and our experience in Christ. It's a little-by-little process that God takes us through. He doesn't do it all in one night or even in one year. Growth doesn't happen that way. 
It's step by step, line upon line, a little bit here, a little bit there. But the end purpose is the same. God wants to give us victory over all of our enemies, and he wants to bring us into an abundant life, into a rich inheritance laid up for us in heaven in Christ. And we're not going to look at all of those verses again, but on page 149, if you have your notes in front of you, numerous references in the New Testament to our inheritance as Christians. It would be wonderful if when we came to Jesus, he forgave us our sins and said, you're not going to go to hell, you're going to live forever. That would be enough for us to praise God forever and ever and ever. But it's much more than that. Over and over, God says, I'm preparing an inheritance for you. It's laid up for you in heaven. There are riches awaiting you there, just as a wealthy father leaves an inheritance to all of his children, so our Heavenly Father has laid up a rich inheritance, most of which is being reserved for us in heaven. However, we're also going to look tonight, there is an abundant, full life for us now in Christ. It's a spiritual life. It's a life full of grace, full of power, full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit. But it's a rich life nonetheless. Now, I want to talk a little bit more tonight about this little-by-little process that God spoke about in Exodus 23 and how it correlates with our experience as Christians. First of all, our promised land is not a physical piece of real estate like it was for the Israelites. Our inheritance is spiritual. And one way of looking at it, our promised land is all of the promises of God. In Hebrews 6, verse 12, it says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Notice that word, inherit. So, God has given us exceeding great and precious promises. My goodness, so many promises in the Word of God. And you and I would be very wise to search them out. Find out what our inheritance is. Find out what it is that God is promising us. It's one thing for God to make a promise. It's another thing for you and me through faith and patience, notice the patience part, through faith and patience to inherit that promise. The patience is important because this is a little by little. It's not an all at once process. It's a little bit at a time. And sometimes we get impatient and God says you have need of patience. Through faith and patience, you will inherit what has been promised to you. Now, 
I want to go back to a scripture in the Old Testament. It's not in the outline. I think I referred to it last week, but I want to actually go to the reference now. It's found in Isaiah chapter 28, and I'll start reading at verse 9. Isaiah 28, verse 9. It says, Who is he trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? To children weaned from their milk, to those just taken from the breast. For it is, do and do, do and do. Rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here, a little there. And if you've been a Christian for very long, I think you can say amen to what I'm going to say. Verse 10 that I just read pretty much describes the process of Christian growth. We learn a new concept, and then we have to learn how to do it. And then we get a little bit more understanding on something, then God tests us, and we grow a little bit more. And it's, I, I think this is an apt description of our Christian life. A little here, a little there. Notice the similarity between this and what we just read in Exodus 23. Not all at once, but a rule here, a precept there, a new revelation here, a little bit of growth there. It's little by little that we grow up into the fullness of Christ. So don't become impatient. Don't be one of these who wants to be an overnight, you know, Christian superman. It's going to take time, and it's going to be a little bit at a time. And sooner or later, you and I have to come to grips with the fact that the Christian life is a long, tedious process, just like getting from point A, Egypt, into Canaan and making it their possession for the Israelites, it took a long time. It took a lot of battles, a lot of trials, a lot of experiences for them to get from bondage into abundance. And so it will be in our case. Now, where we ended last time is where I want to pick up. In Matthew 12 verses 43 to 45. If you are following in the notes, we're at the bottom of page 150. And just as God told the Israelites why he wasn't going to drive out all the enemies in one year, the reason being the weeds and the wild animals will take over the land. If, if we drive out all of these nations too quickly, the wild beasts and the weeds will overrun the land. So we'll manage it, we'll do it a little bit at a time, so that you can grow and take possession of those lands a little bit at a time. Matthew 12, 43-45 is a very interesting portion of Scripture. Jesus says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, if you will, try to picture those evil nations in Canaan being driven out, 
These are evil spirits being driven out. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied. Key word that I've put in bold print there. It finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. The swept clean is good, put in order is good, but it's unoccupied. It's just empty, I think the King James says. Then this evil spirit goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of the man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Notice the evil spirits, they want to take up residence inside of human beings. They want to come back and live there. The one demon, the one evil spirit that is driven out, he comes back with seven more. So now there are eight demons that move in, and notice what it says, they go in and live there. They want to live there. And the real problem I see here is summed up in that one word. The house, after the demon was driven out, even though it was swept clean and put in order, it was left unoccupied. It was left empty. A lot of scriptures come to mind, and I scribbled some more down here that are not going to be found in the notes. For instance, Ephesians 4, verse 27, it tells us to give no place or to give no room for the devil. That's interesting. Don't give him any room. So, if your house, the house here representing you, if the house is empty and unoccupied, well, there's plenty of room for demons to move back in. There's plenty of room for the devil to get to work. But if the house is full, if the house is occupied, then there's no room for the devil. And this is the key in this final part of our Bible study. The Israelites had to actually occupy Canaan. They had to plant their roots. They had to grow their crops. They had to become inhabitants of that place. They had to occupy Canaan. And in a similar way, after we come to Christ, we have to be very careful to make sure our house stays occupied, that our house is filled to the brim so there's no room for any of these evil spirits to try to make their way back into our life. And let's look at some scriptures here. Um, for instance, in Ephesians 2.22, it says, And in him you two are being built together 
to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The amazing thing is about the New Covenant, God wants to live in us. We become His temple. And so we must make sure that the house, the temple, is occupied. It's full. That God is dwelling in that house, in His fullness. Look also in the next chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Notice those words, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a mouthful, but Paul is praying that the Ephesian believers will not find themselves unoccupied. Rather, Christ will be dwelling richly in their hearts, and that they will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's, that's an amazing thing to contemplate, but God wants to fill us with his fullness. And when you're full of God's fullness, there's just no room for anything else. There's no room for the devil. There's no room for those enemy nations of Canaan to try to creep back in. And the life Jesus spoke about in John 10.10, where he said the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly or some translations, life to the full. I like both translations. He wants us now, here on planet Earth, in our day-to-day existence, He wants us to live an abundant, full life in Christ. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to become millionaires and billionaires, but we will be spiritually rich, we will be spiritually abundant. And there's another scripture that's not in your notes, but I want to read it. It's found in the book of Romans, chapter 5. And in particular, I want to read verse 17. Let's see if we need to get some context here. Romans 5. In Romans 5, Paul is talking about the amazing grace of God, and he's contrasting all of the bad ill effects of Adam's fall and all of the great things that Jesus Christ, the second Adam, did to reverse the curse and all of those uh, bad consequences of Adam's sin. And so, Starting in verse 15 of Romans 5, he says, But the gift is not like the trespass. 
For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And just to pause for a second, there's an interesting play on words in this whole passage, because the word for man is Adam. That's why Jesus is referred to here as the one man, Jesus Christ. He's playing on that word man or Adam. That's why he's known as the second or the last Adam. And it says in verse 16, again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trans I'm sorry, many trespasses and brought justification. Now here's our verse, verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, there's a lot here, but let's just highlight a couple of things. When we get saved, there is an abundant provision of grace that God has made available to every one of us. We must learn how to tap into that, how to receive God's abundant provision of grace and the free gift of righteousness. But notice the result of that. When you and I begin to tap in to the abundance of God's grace, we can actually reign in life. Reign like a king in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, he's not talking about ruling and reigning with him when we get to heaven. He's talking about living an overcoming, abundant, grace-filled life now while we're here on the earth, reigning in life through Jesus Christ, receiving the rich, full, abundant provision of God's grace. Now, coming back to our notes, we're, we're still looking at this concept of making sure our house is not unoccupied. There are many, many things mentioned in the New, New Testament scriptures that indicate God wants us to be full full of many things. I'll just list a few of them. We're told in John 1, Jesus was full of grace and truth. I think we're supposed to be also. We just read about how we should receive God's abundant provision of grace. And we're told in Colossians 3.16, that we should have the truth, the truth of God's word, dwelling in us richly, full of truth, full of grace. 
Let's read Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You know, the Bible promises in these last days there's going to be a famine. It's not a famine of bread or food. It's a famine of hearing the word of God. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And many Christians are starving because they're not really being properly fed on God's word. We must take the time and make the effort to see that the word of God fills us, that we are saturating our hearts and minds with the scriptures, meditating day and night in the word, memorizing scriptures, studying, cross-studying, looking at different parts of the Bible from different angles and getting that word inside of us. And notice the word dwell here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is not a dead book. This is a living word. And the more of God's word you get inside of you, the more you're going to experience it living in you. It comes alive inside of you. And if you want a real spiritual revival in your life, you don't have to go to this conference or to that famous speaker. Spend time in the Word. The Word will bring you into revival like you've never seen before. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, we're to be full of grace and truth. We're to be full of God's Word. We read in Ephesians 3.19, God wants us to be filled with the fullness of God. And of course, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just once. Whenever you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, God filled you with His Spirit. Wonderful. But what about today? We're to be continually filled with the Spirit, it says in the book of Ephesians. It's not just a one-time event or experience. We stay continually full of the Spirit. Look also in 1 Peter chapter 1. This is something else that God wants us to be continually filled with. And I'm going to start a little bit earlier with some scriptures we've read previously. 1 Peter 1, from verse 3 down to verse 9. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. There it is into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, that doesn't make any sense to the natural mind. How can you at the same time be suffering grief and greatly rejoicing? But if you come into the experience that Peter is talking about here, you'll understand the experience. Because you can go through great trials, great grief, and at the same time be greatly rejoicing. And the rejoicing is not over any physical circumstance or condition. The rejoicing is centered on the inheritance, on the hope, on the things that are being kept for you in heaven through Christ. Continuing from verse 7. These have come, the trials that is, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, right now, not when we get to heaven, but right now, Peter says, you're greatly rejoicing. You're filled with an unspeakable, an inexpressible and glorious joy because of what Christ has done for you and because of what he's preparing to give you. Full of joy, full of grace, full of truth, full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's Word, full of the, the very fullness of God. My friends, when you and I come into that experience, there's just no room for the devil anymore. There's no room for idle thoughts in your mind if you're continually meditating on God and on his word. Now, a couple more verses that we've listed here. 1 John 4, verses 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Yet another scripture that points to this fact, God wants to occupy us. He wants to live in us. He doesn't want our house to remain unoccupied. He's the one that wants to occupy the house. Romans 5, 5, it says, Hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And we could literally go on and on, citing hundreds of verses 
that talk about the glorious riches of Christ, the riches of our inheritance, being filled with all of these graces and riches and, and different aspects of God. The, the bottom line is, God wants to fill our life. It's an abundant, spirit-filled life. I came to give you life to the full, it says in John 10.10 10 in the NIV. Life to the full. More abundant life. Abundant in grace. Abundant in the power of God. Abundant in that we are filled with God's Holy Spirit. He is dwelling in us. He's taken up residence in us. We become the tabernacle of God, the temple, the dwelling place of God. All right, let's tie this all up together now and bring this to a conclusion. The Israelites were hopelessly bound in slavery in Egypt. But while they were there, God began to give them a message of hope. If you will follow my instructions and do what I tell you to do, I'm going to bring you out of here and take you in to another land. And this dates all the way back to Abraham. God first began to reveal his plan to Abraham. It became more clear as the time drew near. And one of the main verses we started this whole Bible study out with, Deuteronomy 6, verse 23. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers, brought us out to bring us in. Likewise, God has brought us out of sin, but he also wants to take us in to something. He wants to take us in to a spirit-filled life, an overcoming life, reigning in life through Jesus Christ, a life full of grace, full of joy, full of power, as we await our heavenly inheritance, when we either pass from this life or when Jesus returns in glory. Then we will fully enter into that inheritance. Meanwhile, as we just read, we are rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory because of what awaits us. Step by step, a little here and a little there. God brought them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai. He gave them priests, a priesthood. He gave them his law. And he was with them, even though they were rebellious and disobedient. He was with them for 40 years in the wilderness. He fed them supernaturally with manna. He brought water out of the rock. Finally, he brought them to Canaan, just as he promised he was going to do. And one by one, he drove out all seven of those enemy nations of Canaan. And in the book of Joshua, 
they begin to settle into the land as those enemies are driven out. Little by little, and we, we saw this with the Jebusites, the final of the seven nations, it wasn't until David's time, King David, that they actually drove out the Jebusites and took possession of Jerusalem. It became the seat of David's throne and kingdom, and it was, of course, a picture of something far greater, the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And so every aspect of this story from Egypt all the way into Canaan, it is a picture of our Christian life coming out of sin through the precious blood of the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, passing through the waters of baptism represented by the Red Sea and coming to Mount Sinai, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, whereby we become God's tabernacle. For the Israelites, he brought them to Mount Sinai and said, make a sanctuary for me. Through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, God says, you're going to be my sanctuary. I will make my dwelling in you. Your body will be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And yes, he does bring us, as we just read in Peter, through many trials, many battles, many tribulations, but we keep rejoicing as we move along because we know we're making progress. We're getting closer. We're getting nearer to the goal, to the finish line. And ultimately, every enemy will be overcome and defeated. And by the grace and power of God, we will be ushered in. We will be welcomed in to his heavenly inheritance, the eternal kingdom of God. What a, what a marvelous plan of salvation God has for you and for me. What a great gospel this good news of Jesus Christ is. And one of the things we're going to be looking at in our next Bible study, which again, we're starting next week, it's entitled, Show Us Your Glory. We're going to look a lot at the importance of God's glory in the New Testament, and particular in the Gospel. A lot of folks miss this, but the, the real Gospel is called the Gospel of Glory in Jesus Christ. It's the glorious Gospel. And part of the good news of the Gospel is God wants to impart His glory to us, His church, and He certainly wants to reveal His glory to us and he wants us to enter into his eternal glory. What a glorious salvation, what a glorious hope, what a glorious gospel he has given to us through Jesus Christ. And although this salvation is free, it is not cheap. It was purchased at great cost with nothing less than the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the true Passover Lamb. He paid it all, 
And now we, through faith and patience, can inherit all that he promised, all that he purchased with his own precious blood. Let us make every effort to enter in and to lay hold on and to take possession of this kingdom that he's called us into. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Let's close in prayer tonight as we bring this entire Bible study to a conclusion. Holy, heavenly, glorious, righteous Father, we praise and magnify your name. There is no one like you. Oh God, what a great and a glorious plan of salvation you have unfolded for us. Lord, we are not worthy of the least of your mercies, and yet look what you've done to save us, to deliver us, to restore us, and even to prepare us for your heavenly kingdom and glory. Oh God, what is man that you are so mindful of him, the son of man that you have set such love, such affection upon us. All we can do is fall down in complete amazement, amazed at your grace, astounded at your glorious love for each one of us. Lord, we surrender, we give ourselves afresh and anew to your purpose, to your plan, to your working out your salvation in each one of our lives. He who began a good work in us will complete it for the day of Jesus Christ. Just as you completed what you started in Egypt for the children of Israel, we know that you will see this to its completion. You will finish the work that you started, and you will prepare us for your eternal kingdom and glory. Father God, I thank you for each and every one participating in this Bible study. I pray that your word will dwell richly in their hearts and that many of the scriptures that we have read throughout this Bible study, they will continue to meditate upon. You will continue to bring them back to our remembrance and teach us even more and more, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, as we keep going from glory to glory, from faith to faith, as you put on those final finishing touches, making us a glorious bride prepared for her husband, awaiting that final day when Jesus comes in his glory. God bless each and every one. Keep us under your precious blood, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and truth and joy. Until that final day, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.